We're going to look mainly at Hebrews chapter 2. There'll be other verses that we'll look at as we go through. We're going to read the, we're going to read the passage first. So Hebrews chapter 2, starting from verse 5. We're going to go all the way through to the end of chapter 2, but we're not going to focus on all of it. Don't panic. Today, anyway. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there's a place where someone has testified, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers. In the presence of the congregation, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here I am, here am I, and the children God has given me. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death, he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Okay, so far in... Hebrews, we've seen this big focus of Jesus, who is the Son of God. Jesus, who is just mightier than anything. He is the exact uh, representation of God's being, the radiance of his glory. He's greater than the angels. And we've seen that well, God's spoken by his Son. So it's probably something we better pay attention to. But you see, in, in the rest of chapter 2, the focus shifts only slightly. That the focus is still massively on Jesus. It's all about Jesus, but there's this sense of the focus being more about Jesus the man. Jesus who was made for a time a little lower than the angels. Jesus who shared in our humanity. Jesus who's not ashamed to call us brothers. It's the focus of the rest of this chapter, and today we're, going to look, we're only going to look at verse four, 5 to 9. And we see... Effectively, the, the kind of the, the centerpiece of that passage, those few verses, is this quote, somewhere someone has testified, which we'll see is David in Psalm chapter 8. But we're going to look at this, uh, this quote that he makes and the kind of points he makes off the back of it. We're going to see three things. That Jesus, our brother, is risen and reigning. That Jesus, our brother, redeems and restores. And that Jesus, our brother, is our rock-solid hope. Okay. Verse 5. It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come. 
So he continues, in the, in the passage before, we've seen this quite big focus on angels. He'd be making a massive point about, well, Jesus is much greater than the angels. And we made some points about that last time. But we've seen that, in this point, he's making this sense, well, the world to come isn't subject to angels. And we see, actually at the moment, we see quite a lot of stuff about angels. We see in chapter 1, verse 14, we see that angels are ministering spirits. They're ministering and helping those who, who are being saved. We see Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 6. He refers to the rulers, authorities and powers of this dark world who are not of flesh and blood. He's talking about these angelic beings or good and bad, angelic and spiritual beings that have actually some authority in this world. Or, and in fact, Jesus himself in John refers several times to the devil as the prince of this world. So we see at the moment there are angelic and spiritual forces at work that, are, that have a measure of authority. But his starting point here is the world to come is not subject to angels. And in effect, that kind of begs the question, okay then, well, who is it subject to? So he goes on to answer. And he goes on to answer primarily, initially by quoting this psalm, Psalm chapter 8. He's got these few verses in Hebrews 2, There's a place where someone has testified, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and you crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And that is a quote from Psalm of David, Psalm chapter 8, or Psalm 8. Where David, he's got this this amazing psalm talking about the majesty of God. Begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How you've set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you've ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you've set in place, let me get this quote. What is man that you're mindful of him? So we've seen this. The majestic God of the universe. How incredible you are. David's praising him. And then he's pointing out this this wonder that actually the majestic God of the heavens, he cares for man. He cares for mankind. And you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. And then he goes on to explain what that is. All flocks and herds, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea. All that swim in the paths of the sea. So you see, what the writers of the Hebrews is quoting is David's big recognition of what God has done. God has set man over creation. And we see that. That goes right back. We kind of see people's minds going back and back. They must have heard this. And thought, okay, that, refer- that was what David said. And what David was referring to was right back at the beginning in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, verse 28. This is what God said to Adam. God said to the people he had made. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Okay, so it's like God's commission to Adam. Rule over it. So, okay, 
We could ask, okay, is that, is that what it is then? Is the writer of the Hebrews just saying, okay, you're going to do it. Men are in charge, you need to get... People are in charge, you've got to rule over the, rule over the world to come. God subjected the world to human beings. Okay, so we'll read on. We're kind of following the path that the, the, the original hearers would probably have got. Okay, well, it's not subject to angels. Okay, oh yeah, that's all about us. That's about man. That's about what God said to Adam. So back to Hebrews. So after the quote, he says this. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Ah, Ah, okay. So, we see, we've gone all the way back to the garden, we see that Adam was put in charge. He was said, right, rule over everything. Rule over the fish of the sea, the flocks of the air. The flocks of the air. That's not right. Anyway, fish and flocks and birds and everything. Rule over them. But what do we see? Yet at present, we don't see it. Yet at present, we don't see it. Why? It's true. Good man has fallen. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Ultimately, Adam didn't carry out God's commission to him. What do we see in Romans chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. We're not going to go into the detail of this verse. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin... In this way, death came to all men because all sinned. For before the law was given, sin was in the world, but sin was not taken into account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam and then to the time of Moses. Sin entered the world. Sin entered the world through one man, through Adam. And all have sinned and fallen short. And so what we actually see in that verse is actually... Death reigns. Death reigns at the moment. Okay, so we're getting this confusing picture of, okay, well, it's not to angels. And then, okay, what is man? Oh, man, oh, man, it's about man. Yeah, Adam, yeah, he's reigned. Yeah, he was given authority over everything on earth. Okay. Oh, yeah, but Adam fell. Uh, Yeah, and we've all sinned and we're all fallen. And, okay, uh, see, what he's doing, he's taken them and he's taking us all the way back that we actually see Adam was called to rule over all creation Adam was called to be the man that God had created him to be but what we see is that he couldn't carry it out what we see is that we all have fallen short of what God wanted yet at present we don't see it We don't see this fully worked out. We see a fallen world. We see and we're reminded of the fact that we're battling with powers and authorities in this dark world, like Paul says in Ephesians 6. What we see, in short, is our need of a saviour. Who is the world to come subject to? We kind of come to a dead end. We've gone back. Adam, no, Adam messed up. What then? What then? Verse 9. But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus, 
who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Now in preparing this, I've been kind of trying to put myself back in the... For if, whether this was read out as a letter or, so, or however, it was, however it came, you've kind of been sitting there listening and you're hearing this, okay, what's he talking about? The, you know, who's the world to come subject to? Oh, all this stuff about man, oh no, well, yeah, I know, actually it's not working out with man, we, we've messed up, we haven't got it sorted. And then those four words and what follows, but we see Jesus. You just imagine... It's kind of like a veil being drawn back. There's kind of like suddenly something changes. Suddenly something changes. There's this moment of realisation that suddenly this guy is taking David's words, David's praise of God, of what he's done for man. He said, man, you are reigning over all creation. I put you in place. That's what I said to Adam at the beginning. And what he's doing, he's saying, look, now it applies to Jesus. Look, now Jesus has come as the man who will fulfill what I said to Adam in the first place. We've been looking back to Adam, but now we see Jesus, the one who came as a man, God himself coming down as a man, sharing in our humanity, as the writer of the Hebrews goes on to say. And we can look and say, I'll get this whole thing, what is man? You've made him, but we failed Right back at the beginning we failed. Adam and the tree and the fruit and the snake, you know it. All that stuff. It all went wrong from there. So why are you looking at that? But we see Jesus. But we see Jesus and he takes it and he applies it to him. He was made a little lower than the angels. He came down, took on human flesh. He came down, became a man. And he is now crowned with glory and honour. The writers of the Hebrews has already done this in, in chapter 1. He's taken, he's taken us back to the Old Testament and said, look, look, here and here and here and here and here and everywhere, look, there's Jesus. Look. Maybe at the time they wouldn't have realised. When, when it was first written, actually they thought, oh, they're talking about Adam or they're talking about whatever. But actually in there, in there, Jesus is all the way through. Jesus is there. This is who the world to come is subject to. He's right, it is man. But not just any man. The perfect man. The one who came. The one who stepped down into human flesh. The one who is now crowned with glory and honour. What we see first in this passage is that Jesus is risen and reigning. He went, he suffered death, and now he's crowned with glory and honour. He is the one who has come to fulfil what David was talking about in Psalm 8, what Adam was given as a commission in the first place. He is going to rule and reign. And not just over creation on earth, but over everything. He rules and reigns. So, okay, what else do we see? Why, why has he said it in this way? He could have just said, the world to come is subjected to Jesus. He's the one who's over everything. He is the one. But actually, he's deliberately making this comparison. He's deliberately making this comparison. Look, we're, we're looking back and seeing God commissioned Adam. 
Adam failed, sin entered in, and now death reigns on earth. It's encouraging us to look back and see this is how it was meant to be, but look at our fallen position. Look at how it's not worked out. And then he's comparing and saying, no, but now look, now we see Jesus. Now we see Jesus, and not just Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus who is God himself, but actually Jesus, the perfect man. Jesus, who is God, becoming flesh, becoming, sharing in our humanity, and being the perfect man, the one who now can fulfill what David and what is said right in the beginning. And what he's saying is, actually, look, Adam on the one hand and Christ on the other hand, we're caught up in this. We're caught up in this. It was meant to be that Adam was going to reign and, and man was going to reign we messed it up. But now Christ has come and he will reign. And what we see is that in Adam now death reigns and we're slaves to sin and we're under the curse. But then what he's, what he's drawing us to, what he's drawing us to is in Christ there's life. In Christ there is life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. verse 22 for as in Adam all die so in Christ all will be made alive in Christ there is life in Christ there is hope and in Christ all this will be fulfilled what the author's drawing us back to is, look, Adam was meant to reign. Adam was meant to do it. Adam was meant to be God's man on earth. But in Adam, as we all are or were, death reigns through sin. Jesus has come. He is the one who will reign and does reign. He is crowned with glory and honour. But in Adam... We can be in Christ. In Adam, death. In Christ, life and hope. And we will reign with him, as 2 Timothy 2 points out to us. 2 Timothy 2, verse uh, verse 11. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, Jesus, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. What's the point? The answer to the question is, the world to come is subject to Jesus. Jesus will reign. Jesus will reign. But the point is, are we going to stay in Adam, or are we going to be in Christ? Jesus hasn't just come to reign, but he's come to restore and redeem those who are fallen. Those who are in Adam, who have fallen, who are all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus came by his death. Him who, he who suffered death, now crowned with glory and honour, because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone.
the author is saying there's not just a new king. There's not just the fact that Jesus has come to reign, but that Jesus calls, calls us to come and be in him, that through him we may be redeemed and restored. That, that actually, where Adam messed it up, where we've all messed it up, actually Jesus is, Jesus is victorious. Jesus is conquered. Jesus has done it so that we can be redeemed and restored. We can be made alive again. He's asked a question about who is the world to come to be sub- going to be subjected to. And actually he's drawing us actually to the wonderful grace of God. That actually Jesus has come. Jesus is the one who reigned, but he has come to die in our place. That we may come in as well. It's not that we've messed up and now we're out. Jesus has come. He hasn't messed up. He's sorted it out. He's got it done. And he calls us in. He calls us in. He, doesn't just, he isn't just risen and reigning, but he's redeemed us. He can re, he's redeeming us and restoring us to be with him. It's funny, we can look at this quote. and We can see, actually, originally we can see David's talking about man. He's talking about Adam. He's talking about the promise given to Adam. He's talking about how God has put all the other creation under man's authority. Do it. Be fruitful. Increase in number. Fill the earth. Look after the animals. Do all that stuff. And we see the author. Actually, then he applies it to Jesus. Look, actually, in, ultimately, Jesus is the one who is going to fulfill this completely. Actually, in looking at it, both those, interpret- both those ways of looking at it are right. They're right. He's, he is looking back, and he is looking at Jesus. But actually, we can also look at it and see, actually, in the light of what Jesus has done, can we see just the grace that is in that? It was massive when David is writing it. Look, God, you are mighty over everything. You, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. What is man that you're mindful of him? How mindful of him is he? How much care has he shown us? How wonderful is it that actually, to the point of Jesus coming to die, to the point of Jesus coming to earth and dying. This is the measure of God's love and care for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not die, but have eternal life. Despite everything, God is mindful of us. So, He's asked the question, it's not to angels, then to who? We've seen. It's Jesus, the one who's risen and reigning. The one who calls us to come in to what he is restoring. But thirdly, what do we get from this? What do we see? Jesus is risen and reigning. Jesus has called us to come in. He's restoring and redeeming us. He's restored and redeemed us if we've come into him, if we are in Christ. 
But thirdly, he is our rock-solid hope. We look at verse 8 again. Yet at present... Am I actually looking at it? Yes. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Just in those few words. Still around us, we see a fallen world. We see a world that's messed up. We see people... And all of us, we're not perfect. We're not, we've not got it all sorted. Yet at present, we don't see all things subject to him. We don't see all things subject. We don't see things all subject to man. We don't even see, see the fullness of all things being subject to Jesus. Yet, we still live in a fallen world. It talks about in Hebrews, just before this passage, in Hebrews 1, we had the writer quoting in verse 13 this thing that, that Jesus should sit at God's right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. It's not all happened yet. It's still going on. The battle is still going on. We see there's so much that seems to, be go, to go wrong in this world. There's so much that seems to come. The circumstances don't automatically suggest that there is a king reigning on the throne. But our hope is sure. Why? Why? And it is these verses of verse 9, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honour. We don't yet see all things subject to him. The world is still fallen. Again, referring back to Ephesians 6, we are still back. Paul encourages in Ephesians 6, put on the armour of God, that you may stand against the devil's schemes. Then we may... Face up to the struggles against these principalities and powers of this dark world. There's still a battle going on. It's real. We don't yet see everything subject to him, yet we see him crowned with glory and honour. Sat at God's right hand until God makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. We have a certain hope because Jesus is victorious. We see this Jesus who, as Hebrews goes on to say, is not ashamed to call us his brothers, Jesus, who shared in our humanity, Jesus, who suffered death, crowned with glory and honour. Crowned with glory and honour. We see him crowned, seated on the throne. We see him victorious. Now, in, a, in, a, uh, in an effort to be really contemporary and trendy and up to... The, uh, up to the minute and uh, really down with popular music. I was reminded of a 1987 song from the Christian rock band Petra. There we are. There, everyone, everyone's like, what? What? Someone, someone's secretly going, yeah, I remember them. Um, now, interestingly, the song is a bit odd in that it's addressing the devil. And it, I wouldn't really recommend that particularly, but the chorus is this. This means war, and the battle's still raging. War, and though both sides are waging, the victor is sure, and the victory secure. But till judgment we all must endure. There's a sense of summing up what's in Ephesians 6. There's a battle going on around us. There's a battle going on, but actually look, look, the victor is sure. The victory is secure. The war, in that sense, is over. The war is done. Jesus has won. 
Jesus has won. He is victorious. He has beaten death. The one who suffered death is now crowned with glory and honor. The one who went to the cross for us, the one who tasted death, is now crowned with glory and honor. He's the victor. We don't yet see it all, but Philippians 2 points to where things are headed. If I find the right tab. Philippians 2 and verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, crowned with glory and honour, gave him the name that's above every name, and then this, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's where we're headed. That's where we're headed, to that day when actually every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We don't see it yet. We don't see it. We will. That's where we're coming to. And we can have this sure hope because our brother has gone before us. We see Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the one who became a man, now crowned with glory and honour, but we see him, the perfect man, the first man who has been risen from the dead and is now in glory. 1 Corinthians 15 talks of it like this talks of Jesus being the first fruits. One Corinthians fifteen verse twenty. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the first fruits Then, when he comes, those who belong to him. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. He's the first fruits. He's gone. He's ascended. So that when he comes, we know we who are in him, we who have believed in his name, we who have come into life in him, we will be raised also. It's a sure and certain hope. So what do we see? Jesus, risen and reigning. He is the one to whom the world to come is subject. He's made a way for us to come in. He's redeemed and restored us. And he ultimately is our rock-solid hope. In this book, I can't say I've read it all yet. Nikki is reading it. But even from the little I've read, I would recommend it. Christ, Our Life, Michael Reeves. But in talking about this, in talking about Jesus fulfilling Psalm 8 and that whole sense of him being the one who is crowned with glory and honour, he says this, we're just going to close with this paragraph. To see him crowned with glory and honour, how it lifts our eyes. In the mundaneness of life, in failure, in sadness and in pain, we look up and find the deepest consolation. There on the throne is death-crushing compassion and royal liberation. Our friend, our priest, our king. The more we look, the more our hearts belong there. The more we want him known, and the more we long for his return.